This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi businesses reopen after three weeks of shelter in place. The governor hopes this step can begin to boost the state's economy. And legislative leaders set a date for the session to resume. Plus... So uh, that's where we stand at this time. Uh, not, not, No benefit possibly harmful in these patients. What the science community has learned about COVID treatments and antibodies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Many Mississippi businesses are reopening to the public as the state begins the long transition back to normalcy. The Safer at Home order went into effect yesterday, and Governor Tate Reeves says this reopening phase is the first step in shifting responsibility for public health from the state to the individual. There are many, many Mississippians that are hurting. There are many Mississippians who have lost their jobs over the last three to four weeks, and we know that we've got to do everything we can to get them back to work as soon as humanly possible and as soon as it is safe. Even as we phase into uh, more and more reopenings across the state of Mississippi, we want the people to continue to be vigilant. Uh, Our uh, movement is from government shelter in place, mandated for a few weeks, to individuals taking responsibility for themselves and their neighbors and making sure that you are doing the right things. I trust the people of Mississippi to be vigilant, to do the right thing in the coming days and weeks, to continue to see the slow of the spread of the virus so that we protect as many Mississippians as is possible. The Mississippi Department of Health is relaxing requirements for COVID-19 testing to continue tracking the disease during the phase of economic rebound. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says while stores are beginning to reopen, it is essential people wear masks and wash hands. Because our testing capacity is, is strong right now, and because we're having fewer people who are having to come in with symptoms, we are going to lower the, the criteria for people to get tested through these criteria. So if you have any symptoms of COVID, don't have to have necessarily documented fever. Or if you think you might have been exposed, please, re- please register for the drive through clinics if, in fact, you're in those areas and want to get tested. The other thing I do want to mention real quickly is the mask situation. I know we're all trying to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, I'm tired of it, too. But as I go around and, and see people out in the community, I'm not seeing a whole lot of masks. So you people who do wear masks, I applaud you. You're protecting yourselves. You're protecting your family. COVID is still out there, and it could rebound. What we do now while we're trying to ease back into normal operations is so very important. Those small, simple, easy things you can do as an individual are going to make all the difference. Mississippi's businesses resume operations at a time the state's revenue stream is experiencing a steep decline, largely due to the pandemic-induced shutdown. Herb Frierson is the commissioner of the Department of Revenue. He says the shortfall is in the tens of millions and tells us how the pandemic could affect the state's rainy day fund. 
running about $22 million behind on the cash sheet from this time last year. That's, uh, you know, it's pretty well across the board. Everything's short right now for our sales tax. Now, use tax is up, but sales tax is considerably down. And that's just first of the year. So you actually know from week to week what those numbers are? We know on the cash sheet, we know from day to day compared to last year on the same day. Now, the difference in the cash sheet and the general fund transfer is the cash sheet is all revenues collected, itemized by, you know, what type, like sales tax, before general fund divergence. The general fund is diverted from all the cash collected. At the end of the month, we will have a transfer to the general fund, and we'll know the impact that the loss of sales tax will have on the general fund. How else is Mississippi's state economy hurt other than sales tax losses? Income tax uh, is, is, is coming in slow in April because we moved the date, the filing date, back to May 15th. So that's, that's causing that to go down. Your withholding is going down because you have so much unemployment. Unemployment's rising so rapidly. And, but everything else is, is, is fairly steady, uh, a little behind, but steady. Is it usually monthly that sales tax revenue, use tax revenue, goes into Mississippi's coffers? Yes, it's, it, it goes, you know, it's coming in every day. But we total it up at the end of each month and give you a monthly total. What is what? happening because that money is not, or a small amount of money uh, compared to what it has been? Does that well, affect things immediately? It could. It could. We're about, on total cash, we're about $211 million ahead of the revenue estimate. On general fund transfers, we're about $180 million ahead of the revenue projection. So we got a little slippage there. But once the 180 has been absorbed by the losses in the general fund, then the legislature will have to probably go into their rainy day funds or some of the other reserve funds to get out of this fiscal year. With businesses now reopening, reopening slowly with some restrictions, have you projected how sales tax revenue might increase, or are there too many unknowns at this point? Too many unknowns at this point. You know, it's just it's, we got we could project if everybody was opened up one hundred percent at the same time, but phasing it in, it's just hard. To, it's, you know, you just you just be a guess. One business that seems to be thriving, and you can prove me wrong or right on this, are alcohol sales. Are you seeing a They're spike? They're going through the roof. They're up twenty-seven percent. Twenty-seven percent. That's since what February? Uh, that's over last year at the same time. We're selling more. We're selling more wine and spirits right now than we were during the Christmas, New Year's holiday. Well, that's significant then, isn't it? Herb Frierson is the Commissioner of Revenue for the state of Mississippi. Commissioner Frierson, thank you so much for being with us. All right, thank you. 
The Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. Two sites will be available tomorrow, one in Pike County at the Pike County Health Department in Macomb, the other in Leake County at the Carthage Coliseum. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC triage app. To stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, legislative leaders set a date for the session to resume. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. After an unplanned nine-week recess, the Mississippi legislature is set to resume next month. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and Speaker Philip Gunn announced yesterday the legislative bodies will reconvene on May 18th and are working on protocols to prioritize the health and safety of those in the building. During Monday's Stennis Capitol Press Forum, Hoseman indicated members of the Senate will begin conducting committee hearings prior to restart, and he plans to make sure the state is not faced with another PPE challenge. One thing in my conversations with uh, Dr. Thomas Dodds, I indicated to him that we did not want to face this PPE issue again. Uh, I met with members of the uh, Army National Guard, Army and uh, General Boyles and his group. Uh, We believe we have found a place in uh, Camp Shelby uh, that is climate controlled. Uh, It's Dr. Dobbs' recommendation that we uh, purchase 31 days of PPE for the state and maintain that in in an ongoing basis. We'll probably buy and sell some of that to keep it up to date and uh, with hospitals on a regular use basis. But basically, we want to have 31 days that is necessary for our first responders, our hospital workers, ambulance workers, those kinds of things that that touch people so uh, often during the pandemic. I've said many times that we want to prepare like it's coming back and pray that it doesn't. Hosman expressed thoughts on how learning across the state has been impacted by the pandemic, noting the lack of broadband and technology access in some parts of the state. He also made it clear the Senate's commitment to education is unwavering. To me, I, I, I believe that we passed a bill and we should go forward with it. Um, you know, obviously, there, there may be a time which everything becomes under such scrutiny, you may not be able to do many things you didn't want to do. But quite frankly, the last thing I want to take off the table is the teacher pay raise. Um, one. Number two, if people didn't appreciate teachers before the last month and a half, they do now. Uh, it is, it's critical. Emily, the road forward for Mississippi over the next five and ten years is paved with education. That's what paves the road forward. That's our long term. As soon as we start cutting that off, and there are other things in there. I want to fund pre-K this year. Those things we need to do, those are generational things. 
This pandemic, hopefully, is a temporary thing, but education is permanent. And so I, I don't, when we, when we get to this, uh, the last thing I want to start doing is handicapping my education system. Uh, when you start taking away your future, that hurts you not in a short-term pandemic, hopefully, but it hurts you in your economics for a decade. One of the most significant challenges the legislature will face upon returning is ending the fiscal year within its budget. With revenues down, the lieutenant governor, along with other legislative leaders, are urging state agencies to be hyper-judicious with any remaining allocations. My goal, as I've expressed it before, is to make it to July 1st without touching the rainy day fund. And that's why uh, Philip Gunn and I and John Reed and Briggs Hobson sent a letter Friday asking the state agencies to pay critical attention to their cash flow and don't don't spend money that we may have allocated to you earlier in the year uh, just because you got it. Um, I will tell you, I, I know I personally, and then I'm sure the other members as well, will, will look at our state budget when they come in here in, in April, I mean in um, June, and where we see people that did not could cut budget and didn't cut budget, that's, that's not going to be a positive for me. I mean, where you didn't help us out when you know how bad a shape we're in, uh, and you spend a bunch of money on something that has a 10-year useful life or a five-year useful life, um, that would be a negative in my mind. So I, I really would appreciate, we have 200 agencies, as you know, we really appreciate our agencies taking the time, take a look and see, well, maybe I don't need this. <laughs> maybe I can do do something else. Maybe I can save a little money here. Now, every, every little bit will be helpful. That will allow us, Bobby, to get to July without touching the rainy day. The former Secretary of State says concerns over public health as it relates to the November general election are also top of mind and will work with Senate chair and vice chair of elections to explore legislative solutions. Uh, I think they're, they're looking at all the options, Bobby, quite frankly. Um, the, the issues about absentee voting just out anywhere in a grocery store or something like that, I, regardless of pandemics, I wouldn't do that. I think that is way too risky. and. Uh, too much opportunity for mischief. So I don't think that would be well received in the Senate. I uh, can't speak for the House, but uh, on the on the issue of other matters that would be expedite voting, particularly for those who are vulnerable adults or, or that were sick, uh, I think they'll be addressing those. And I'm, I'm anxious to get their report. It, it should be out really, really early in the session, I would think, by, by in that first week after the, we open on the 18th, we'll have some preliminary talks. They may well hold some hearings before that. I haven't talked to them a lot, which will all be virtual hearings. They may have some hold some hearings before that to get further input. But I, I think we want to accommodate. We want every citizen to vote, obviously, and we want them to be in a safe environment when they do so. The legislature will resume its session on May 18th. Coming up, what the science community has learned about COVID treatments and antibodies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Right now, mpbonline.org is your resource to stay up to date on the news about COVID-19. The coronavirus is a worldwide pandemic, and MPB is here to let you know how that affects Mississippi. mpbonline.org has an entire section dedicated to the coronavirus, 
with links and updates from the Center for Disease Control and the Mississippi Department of Health. Visit our website right now, mpbonline.org, to find out what you need to know. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Hydroxychloroquine, an anti-malarial commonly used to treat lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, shot to the front of the nation's consciousness last month, thanks in part to President Trump's promotion of the drug. Now, after an initial reflective study done by the VA, more is known about its effectiveness in treating COVID-19. Dr. Vikas Mit- uh, Majithia is a rheumatologist with the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He discusses the results of the study and the latest scientific findings with our Michael Guidry. My my take on this is, you know, it's a it's a trial which shows that hydroxychloroquine likely has uh, no to minimal benefit in these patients who are hospitalized and are being treated with it. Uh, it is also very important to note that this is a single snapshot cross sectional an observational study. What it means is we, um, the patients were kind of self-selected, a lot of bias, a lot of treatment bias, and we do not know exactly about how sick they were. So it's, it's hard to control for a lot of these variables when we look back on what has been done. But uh, but again, no good signal showing that there is benefit and it's potentially, and again, I'm not saying it is, but it is potentially uh, possible that they are that hydroxychloroquine may be actually harmful in these patients when they are hospitalized. So uh, that's where we stand at this time. Uh, not not no benefit, possibly harmful in these patients. And same thing is true for combination of hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin. You've said that the study that we that, that we have received is, is narrowly focused, and right now the advisement is to not use it. Uh, less under, under under clinical trial. It was announced earlier this month that UMC was going to conduct a couple of clinical trials, and hydroxychloroquine was, was at the center of one of those trials. What has UMC discovered? Is there any, have you received any data? Is there anything based, uh, coming out of your clinical trials that either corroborate this study or provide you a, a different perspective? First of all, so the, the kind of trials which we are being which are being conducted are the right ones. So they are prospective. That means uh, decision is made about kind of capturing patients in certain groups before they are put on treatment or different groups put in amongst different groups, and and they are also randomized. That means we can decrease the chances of error. Uh, as well as they are com- controlled by placebo in most cases. So we are getting a lot of those trials off the ground and up for up running, which will give us a lot better idea than some of the than the uh, trial I just discussed about whether hydroxychloroquine truly is effective in treatment of COVID-19. They have started recruiting. The estimated completion time is July. Uh, that would study start day was April the 2nd, so too early to get any data out of it at this time. We're over 6,000 cases in Mississippi uh, with over 200 deaths, but presumably, based on those numbers, there are quite a few people who have contracted COVID-19 and and recovered. 
a lot of attention nationally and both statewide have have been to the um to the, the study of antibodies. What has the scientific community found out in the last couple months about antibodies as it relates to COVID nineteen? That's a very fascinating uh, fascinating area of uh, research and discussion. So as people recover, as people are exposed to COVID-19, our body reacts by forming uh, antibodies. So uh, it is expected that uh, uh, people who have been exposed to the, the uh, COVID-19 are going to develop uh, in, you know, immunity to it, and these antibodies are the reason for it. Now, what we do not know, which level of these antibodies or which amongst these antibodies are likely to be the one providing immunity. What we do know is uh, that that anybody who is exposed is going to develop these antibodies, and there are some antibody tests which are being developed and validated to figure out, uh, first of all, whether this truly meant there was an infection. If it was, it was recent or, or, or it was this particular strain of the virus of SARS-CoV-2, and second of all, whether these antibodies, which one of these antibodies are, you know, immunity providing. So what, you know, if you look at New York, a huge, huge number of these patients had uh, infection, but uh, it was also found that uh, that we think that uh, the asymptomatic or a mild symptom COVID-19 is quite common. So uh, in New York, they collected uh, blood from 3,000 uh, individual random folks, uh, and uh, these um, folks uh, was, you know, ha- had shown evidence of this antibody. That means they had been exposed to COVID-19 and likely had a disease. They just never knew that they had a disease. So what that means is that COVID-19 is more prevalent than what we think it is. It is most of these patients are don't even know that they have it, especially if they are young, they're not at high risk. And uh, we might have uh, uh, an opportunity to study them more to kind of use that information in guiding how do we open our states, how do we get everybody back on their feet, and also uh, provide a better information to general public about uh, this, this epidemic. In New York uh, City itself, one in four were felt to have uh, been exposed or have had an infection with COVID-19. And of course, uh, only a small fraction really got sick. It's kind of fascinating. Not not only I mean, this, this antibody research doesn't just go towards understanding how to combat the virus, but also gives us a clearer picture on how potentially vastly spread the virus was and gives us insight on how many people might have shown very little symptoms or no symptoms at all? Uh, it clearly shows that, that that the virus is much more widespread and probably was here, you know, before March. Um, and uh, and most people are asymptomatic. So, so it's kind of, kind of uh, interpreting it. Um, my take is that, that this virus is highly infectious. It's or communicable, uh, more than what we thought it was. And uh, it is not as deadly as we think uh, so far. Uh, but that does not mean that we should start feeling comfortable with it because it's no matter what, it is so much more deadlier than common cold flu, uh, where uh, maybe you know, close to 10 times that. Um, but, uh, and, but also picks and chooses the vulnerable population so much more. 
um, and so that is that's what my take is on on uh, this information at umc uh, i mean we have two biobank studies open and uh, th- that is uh, where we are collecting uh, samples on uh, uh, patients who have been affected by covid-19 and so i mean, i think it would be interesting and hopeful uh, helpful to your uh, hopefully helpful to your uh, listeners and who have had covid-19 to consider uh, being donating their sample to to figure all this out better dr vikas majithia is a rheumatologist with umc dr majithia thank you again so much i appreciate that this has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.